No, I don't think there's any gelatinous cubes here, Tolkien fan, but there might be in Mike's adventure on Twitter. Mm, actually, I have the next one. Gelatinous cubes. Gelatinous cubes. <laughs> Made from real hooves. <laughs> real hooves, <laughs> so you know it's good. Uh, gelatinous cubes. Gelatinous cubes. Hello, fellow game explorers. With thousands of board games produced every year, it is a daunting task to figure out which games you and your friends will love. So, we hunt down three board games every show from all over the spectrum, different styles, genres, themes, even eras, to let you know whether they are worth digging up or should stay buried. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello, hello. Mike Grenier. What's up? And Ed <laughs> Povolitis. Howdy. First up this week, we light up the night sky with blazing fireworks in Hanabi. Next, we light up the shoreline with gleaming Aegean blue domes in Santorini. And lastly, we alight on tropical shores to record the exotic wildlife in La Isla. Hey everybody, I'd like to start off with a cheer to our fans because yesterday, as of this recording, we hit one thousand followers on instagram we love having you guys and promise to keep our hyper unboxings flowing like the spice and don't forget about our live twitch games thursday nights at 7 p.m eastern time and of course all of our live twitch shows can be rewatched on our youtube channel and check us out on our Patreon page, where our supporters can get an exclusive podcast called Bonus, Bonus Points. Bonus Points. And we are also on Discord. You can find a link on our website. And we've got a new game running on Twitter. Mikey does it every <laughs> week. Check it out. Thanks so much, everybody. On to the show. Let's talk about the board game Hanabi, designed by Antoine Bauza. Published by R&R Games in 2010, number of players 2 to 5, ages 8 and up, playtime 25 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in the box? The cover of Hanabi shows the silhouette of a Japanese imperial palace being highlighted by the explosions of brightly colored fireworks. Underneath are these instructions. Race the clock, build the fireworks, launch your rockets. Inside the box, you'll see 60 cards consisting of six suits. There are also eight blue clock tokens, three black fuse tokens, and one black explosion token. And that's what's in the box. Before we light up the night sky with this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. Hanabi, named for the Japanese word for fireworks, is a cooperative game in which players try to create the perfect fireworks show by placing the cards on the table in the right order. The card deck consists of five different colored cards numbered one to five in each color. For each color, the players try to place a row in the correct order from one to five. It sounds easy, but it's tricky. In this game, you hold your cards so that they're visible only to the other players. You cannot <laughs> look at your own cards. What? Mm -hmm. Now, it's a cooperative, so to assist other players in playing a card, you must give them hints regarding the numbers or the colors of their cards. 
players must act as a team to avoid errors and finish the fireworks display before they run out of cards. There is an extra suit of cards, rainbow colored, and it's provided for advanced or variant play. We played the basic game, but the goal is all the same. Strive to get all 25 points available for the most impressive fireworks display in history. You guys played the game on Board Game Arena. I unfortunately was not there. Uh, I think it was due to a power outage, I think. I believe so, yeah. (laughs) You can watch it now on YouTube. How was the rules locking on this game? Because I feel like if I was playing it in person, my cards would have been all over the place and it would have been a hot mess to try and keep them from me. (laughs) I think the in-person version has card holders so that you just put your cards up and they face out from you. Oh, that's great. How was the play on Board Game Arena? It was tough for me because I was playing with the world's most conservative team. There's only three of us and we all are on the same team. We're all trying to put on the firework display together and trying to figure out who to give information to. Because when it's your turn, you basically can give somebody, not you, obviously, but somebody else information about what they have in their hand. Did Mike call me a timid player? Is that what I gleaned I from all of that? I did. Well, Mikey did say that the aggression level was not very high. It wasn't high. We needed the Celeste level of aggression to like just make some bold <laughs> choices there. <laughs> oh, so it was a very polite game. <laughs> it is a polite game. It is polite, yeah. It is. Because unless you score really the minimum score... Then, <laughs> and you look at the you look at the the rules when the game is over to see how your score translates as far as what the people thought of it. And basically, mm-hmm. unless you score the lowest, there's some level of satisfaction to be gained by any other score. <laughs> so maybe that's part of the reason why there wasn't this you know absolute aggressive stance to must have all 25 points or else we're abject failures. No, you're still putting on a pretty good display if you only get say 16 points. Yeah, if you get like two points, it's not like the king says, you know, oh, he executes you all for your terrible performance. But they do say stuff like the crowd boos or is underwhelmed like you know, by your performance. That's great. You don't want that. Yeah, no. <laughs> You're really going for the honor in this game. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the better you do, the cooler the honor sounds. But it's still, it's like, oh, yeah, you put on a perfectly adequate show. I mean, in Japanese <laughs> terms, that basically means you suck. Yeah, you failed. (laughs) You've insulted yourself and all generations of your ancestors. (laughs) So uh, in bridge, table talk can sometimes be a problem because you're not supposed to communicate things that people aren't supposed to know. How was it here? Oh, we definitely uh, were playing this on Twist Live. So we were only doing it by the woo where it's like, that is blue, Mike. And then silence. Yeah. And that would have been the only conversation between us. Right. If we stuck to those rules, I mean, it just would not have been much for people to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you needed uh, some Hanabi fireworks trivia to go along with it. I know. That would have been really good, Ashley. But, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, what, what we ended up doing was talking out our strategies a bit. So it's like, okay, Ed told me that was blue. And Evan told me this was a one, but uh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get out of that. So I'm hoping Evan told me this is a one in order to say this was a safe card for me to discard. <laughs> right. Well, it could, yeah, it could go either way, though. Right, right. Well, what are you telling me that I need to play this card because this is the one one we need left? Yeah, or he could be saying, oh, we need to discard a card to get ourselves an extra clue. Right. And ones are almost all the way out there, so maybe Ed's telling me, 
that's a junk card that you can throw away. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the conundrums there when they give you yeah. a clue because it's a number or a color and that's it. Right. And we ran out of clues so fast. We were like, because uh, uh, uh. <laughs> that if you don't have a clue, that means you have to play a card and. You might not have much information. It's like, okay, I'm going to play this card and hope for the best. Oh. Yeah, you can either play a card or discard a card yeah. on your turn. So so the other people at the table watch in horror as you right, play the exactly. wrong card. Yes. Because you have no idea what you're, what you're doing. It's like, I'm going to pick the card and you could almost <laughs> wish you had the, the people at the table where their, t- their expressions would go, oh. <laughs> oh god yeah right <laughs> well the the reason why we had a little table talk too is because in person you can point to things mm-hmm. and we couldn't really do that online so we didn't really mind even though nobody would respond we'd still talk out our strategy anyway out loud to just see the looks of horror on people's faces like you said <laughs> well i'll tell you what it did not give us any advan major advantages i can tell <laughs> no. you that i think our, i think we scored somewhere in the respectable middle maybe the high middle range but i remember mikey openly talking about how uh, i thought ed gave me this information for this reason and then next time i I gave him information (laughs) for that reason and mikey went the total opposite way with it (laughs) because i was feeling that you changed your strategy (laughs) so do you have to get all 25 points to win or how do you win well, that is the highest score achievable. So 25 is the ultimate goal. So is there like a, you just didn't do enough and everybody leaves? Or is there is there any po- point level where you lose? Yeah, like the lowest point levels, like one and two points, you know, like are kind of just like it was it was vi- it was a terrible show and, you know, people hated it. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but like after that, it slowly ramps up from there, like. Oh, not everybody left early, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there we go. All right, Mike, you discarded that uh, green one, obviously, mm-hmm. which we mm-hmm. didn't need anymore. So mm-hmm. that was yep. good information that Ed passed to you. Yep. So far, we've scored two points. And I want to read to you the description. Let's say the game ended now. <laughs> what we would they would say about our fireworks display, if we only scored two <laughs> points, basically, if you get five or less, the display was horrible and booed <laughs> by the crowd. Our goal right now is to get past... Five. We need five. Minimum, so we can figure out what the next descriptor is. Okay, good. <laughs> so it's not like some other cooperative games we played, you know? Um, yeah. Like the Danger Island games where it's like, uh, sorry, the island sank. Yeah. <laughs> and you were on it. Yeah. <laughs> five or left point, horrible, booed by the crowd. Okay, so that, <laughs> that you need to avoid. Okay. I think no you doubt could consider that. that a lot. Six yeah. to 10 point, mediocre, just a splattering of applause. Eh, not good. Golf not clap. Good. Eleven to fifteen, honorable, but it will not be remembered for very long. <laughs> I can live with honor. Okay. Sixteen to twenty, excellent, crowd pleasing. There you go. Now we're cooking. Twenty-one to twenty-four, amazing. It will be remembered for a very long time. Yeah. And then twenty-five, legendary. Everyone left <laughs> speechless stars in their eyes (laughs) the challenge with achieving 25 is that you only have one five card of each color that's it you got multiples of the others but there's only one five so you got to get every single one of them right if someone mucks their five get forget it 25 is not achievable yeah it's off the table it's gone immediately not in the cards anymore and you know me guys i'm a like an epic player like i want to do the epic win all the time so this game is a little frustrating for me because it's so hard to get that 25 points it makes me want to keep playing until i get it once that's how they get you 
<laughs> they, they get me. People like me for sure. So I understand this game has won some awards. It has won awards. Back in 2013, it was a Spiel des Jahres winner. <laughs> it's favorite. And it was also nominated for several other awards, uh, both in 2000, well, 2012, 2013, and 2014. In the Netherlands, there looks like a Japanese award it was nominated for as well. And one from, oh, it's Spanish. So uh, one of the Spanish-speaking countries also had it up <laughs> among their board, among their game awards. So, yeah, it's pretty well recognized and honored. It's honorable. It got between 11 and 20. Yeah, it's one of those games where people at a convention where there's not a specific table for Hanabi, you'll see a group of people off to the side that brought their own copy of Hanabi to play it. Well, the, the version I like to see was the deluxe edition with you tile like Shanghai. So it's a little easy to flip up so that you know, instead of flipping up so only you can see it, you flip it up so only that everybody else can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the tile version was pretty neat. Ooh, tiles. That does sound yeah. nice. Yeah, I would have liked tiles. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Hanabi. Mike? The art of subtle and unorthodox communication in a game is something that I really do love, so I'll dig this up. Ed? Hanabi is a light game of communication and collective puzzle solving. While it may be a little light for my taste, I'll dig this up for another fantastic display of fireworks. Yeah! Evan? Hanabi is elegant. It's a relatively easy game to follow. It's good for all levels of gamers. And the playing blind convention is a nice rarity in games. A good party co-op game. Dig it up. Come talk to us about Hanabi. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's talk about the game Santorini, designed by Dr. Gordon Hamilton, a.k.a. Gord. Gord! Gord. <laughs> Published by Roxley in 2016. Number of players, two to four, ages eight and up. Playtime, 20 minutes. Okay, Mikey, tell us what's in the box. The cover of Santorini features two cherubin Greek gods playing with their favorite toy, humanity. <laughs> All the while building a very inconveniently designed city for them with excited glee. Inside, you'll find 18 domes. And 54 blocks, levels 1, 2, and 3. You also see an ocean board, a cliff pedestal, an island board, six workers, and 30 god powers. And that's what's in the box. Before we ask for Poseidon to bless this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. Santorini is an abstract strategy game situated in a mythological Greek city. Each turn consists of two steps. Number one, move. Move one of your builders to a neighboring space. You may move your builder pawn on the same level, step up one level, or step down any number of levels. And number two is build. You get to construct a building level adjacent to the builder you moved. When building on top of the third level, place a dome instead, removing that space from play. Players are imbued with the power of one of the gods, which gives their pawns special abilities, such as building both before and after your move, or switching places with your opponent. To win the game, if either of your builder reaches the third level, you win, gaining the favor of the gods forever. Dun, dun, dun. We played this game on Board Game Arena, mm -hmm. and you can see it on YouTube now. Uh, 
I have a physical copy of the game and it we've played it with our kids a couple of times actually and it is fun in person. How did you guys like the look and feel of it on Board Game Arena? I was impressed with the this was a 3D visual game on Board Game Arena. I wasn't expecting I'd normally see the 2D just type of display from them, but being able to experience it in full 3D was pretty cool. What do you mean by full 3D, Ed? Well, everything was a 3D representation, and you were able to rotate your view and look in different perspectives. That is the first time I think we've seen that on Board Game Arena. Mm-hmm. That was really cool because you can just, when you grab the screen, you can spin it all the way around and like look straight down on it or see like the height of the city. It was great. So this is an abstract game, but the theme is laid very heavily on. I agree. The abstract part of it was very nicely covered up with the Greek theme of God building a city. Yeah, I thought they took the, the different powers they wanted to give you in the game, and there were a lot of potential powers you could get for the different gods. But I thought they took them seriously and tried to match them up really well with the gods they were supposed to represent. Like, I played the Minotaur, for example. And what I could do is push somebody a space away from me. So I felt like I was charging at them and pushing them out of the maze. A game-winning move, I may add. Uh-huh, that's right. <laughs> My question about the gods is, though, were the powers balanced? And that's a tough one to answer without going through, I think, several plays of this game. Because on the surface, from the four gods and their powers we were able to choose from, it was a little tough to figure out which ones would yield either a distinct advantage, perhaps, over the others. So I don't know if they're... It's hard to tell if they're balanced or not. One thing I did notice that they actually have suggestions of which gods not to play with others, where do not play this god with so-and-so god, because I knew that this one would be imbalanced with that one. Right, either killer combos or ones where you just kind of get negated. Well, we all know that the Greek gods were not equally balanced. <laughs> right. And, and I think the amount of different combinations there are leads to balance overall, like over several plays. But yeah, in our first single playthrough, it was kind of really hard to tell which gods were going to be stronger or better in the situation. With all the many gods that they have to choose from and with all those special abilities and everything you're doing on the board, I think it actually crosses over from abstract, you know, to a theme-based game. This is the mm. most thickly and richly combined theme to abstract that I've seen so far. Mm, right. I understand that it's more of a two-player game. It's clearly a two-player game in its in conception. I think it's probably more strategic as a two-player game. I don't know about that. <laughs> like, in my opinion, I, I thought there was a ton of like replayability, but also a lot of potential cool combinations with having teams of two because me and Ed's powers could work well together on the same team, whereas in a two-player game, it's just one power versus another power. Right, but I, you have the aspect then of team play where now it's not just based on strategy, it's how well you work as a team, which is a good thing, but it's not just strictly strategy. But it gets tricky because if it is an abstract game, like chess, right, or mm -hmm. checkers, abstracts are not designed to chat to your partner at the table. Right. So you need to have a silent language kind of nailed down. <laughs> Evan and I were chattering away. Oh, yeah. And not only does that give away 
our plans to the other team, mm-hmm. it also tends to muddle what we're doing, you know, as a first time playthrough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. First on Twitch as well. Right. You know, right. If we were to be silent in our strategy, there just wouldn't be much to entertain folks with. <laughs> True. Wait a minute. Call. Wait a minute. I got to figure this out. Yes. All right. I'll give that a shot. All right. That's what I would have also done. Yeah. And confirm. And, uh, you know, everyone on the message board seems to agree with that. It's just that they're not saying it. (laughs) Every message says, good job. Oh, my God. They're all saying, wow, awesome, fantastic, brilliant move. Thanks, guys. They're speechless. They're, They're textless. Me and Ed were pretty silent. Like, for some reason today or that day, Ed and I were, like, really synced up. And we just kind of looked at each other like, yeah, I know what you're doing. Oh, I know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not very helpful for us on Twitch while Evan and I were busy entertaining everybody, reading yeah. trivia about mm-hmm. Greek islands listen, and trying to play the game. So you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> listen, I talked. I just didn't talk about my strategy. That's yeah. all. I talked. I mocked you guys instead the whole time. That's that's what my chat was. We were one turn yeah. away from getting our own level three it just didn't quite happen exactly always one turn away (laughs) at the beginning we were we were doing well i think there was probably an opportunity right at the beginning to to get ahead however again our communication failed (laughs) we ended up (laughs) we ended up going in the wrong directions away from Mm -hmm. each other however i see a lot of potential for getting good at this game both in a partner uh setup and in a two-player setup Although I know I would have more fun in the partner setup. Mm-hmm. So when your kid played it, did they play it two player or team? Uh, one one on one. So I played it with one my son, and then I played it with my daughter, um, and then they played each other, and it was okay. They had a good time. I think I think it could have gotten to be complete chaos had we done partners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, your squad would have definitely been in chaos playing partners. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought it was interesting to me about the team play because on Board Game Geek, uh, while it's listed as two to four players, they suggest only two to three, making it seem like on Board Game Geek, they didn't really care for the team play as much. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. consistently online, although I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Great to yeah, know. I did as well. More is better. Come on. It's a game. Hold on, it's so complicated. If I move to the one, if I go up to this one level, then you can build twice, and but you've got it. Yes, yes, I'm doing this. Yes, do it. I've got it. She figured it it out. Right. So Celeste had a a pretty aggressive character type where she could uh, put a dome on top of a a stack, no matter how short it was. Right. Normally, you can only put it on. Normally, you can only put it at the third level of the building but this was a special ability i could drop it right on the ground if i want exactly to drop it yeah and it makes it so nobody can move into that space and one of the ways you can win the game is to trap somebody in to the point where they can't move and place their their building on their turn and then that loses the game for them but uh, i was using that to my advantage so because i had the minotaur i was letting her almost box me in and then just push her out at the last second so she's basically outside of her own trap it was very effective I would say start in the middle of the board uh, mm-hmm. because you have more options there. Right. Yeah, we didn't really know how the game was going to play out. So uh, Evan and Celeste both chose corners to start. And me and Ed kind of started a slightly off center from the corner. So we had a couple more spaces around us. And I think that in the end, that helped us a lot. Now, these blue domes are because 
in on the Greek Isles, they do tend to paint their houses, domes, the patriotic blue color of Greece. And the physical copy had really nice blue domes, despite the fact that it is plastic, the, the physical copy. It has a very nice visual appeal looking at the city. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Santorini. Evan? Santorini is a clever abstract game and a team game, which is a rare combination. It looks really good, play goes relatively quickly, and the rules are easy to follow. It's all good. Dig it up. Ed? It's a fun-themed abstract strategy game that strikes a very nice balance between being easy to pick up and play while also offering interesting strategies to explore. I'll dig this up to play God again. Mike? It looks simple, but the strategy is deeper than you expect, and that definitely checks some of my boxes, so I dig it up. All the special ability options make this game challenging and highly replayable while still being fast to play, (laughs) which I don't think we mentioned anywhere else here. True. Dig it up. Come talk to us about Santorini. We are at Which Came First on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's talk about the board game La Isla, designed by Stefan Feld, published by Ravensburger and Alia in 2014. Number of players, two to four, ages 10 and up, playtime, 30 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mike, what's in the box? A majestic blue-faced dodo bird forgets that he's extinct as he proudly takes the center stage on this box cover. (laughs) A peeping Tom, or perhaps a scientist, pokes his head up from behind some rocks in the background to sneak a peek at the noble creature. It looks a little like Jack Black. He does look like Jack Black. (laughs) From from Jumanji. Yeah, Jumanji. All right, I got to link that song to you guys. It's my favorite song ever. Jack Black did a song for the movie Jumanji as a joke, and it's an amazing song. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we're a little <laughs> off track. Uh, inside the box, you'll see 11 island pieces, 180 cards, 32 explorers, a game board, four card holders, five animal tiles, 40 small animal tiles, 60 resources, a starting player card, five purple markers, and two summary sheets. And that's what's in the box. Before we hunt down and kill and mount... I mean, take a benevolent look at this <laughs> review. Evan, tell us how it's played. In La Isla, you and other players each have a team of five scientists, and you want to locate animal species so that you can study them. Not hunt them, study them. <laughs> On a turn, a player has three cards that they place face down in the A, B, and D spaces on his card display. All players reveal their A cards at the same time, then place them in one of the three slots at the top of their display. The image depicted on the top of this card shows the special power that the owner of this card has available. After revealing the cards in their B slots simultaneously, the players collect the goods depicted in the lower left corner of that individual card. Each player in turn then places one of his scientists on a camp. If the player now has a scientist on each camp surrounding an animal space, they get to take that animal tile, scoring points for it as noted on the board. Finally, the card in the D slot increases the value of one animal. You immediately score one point per animal of the type you moved up on the scale. 
when the sum of these values for all five animals equal 7, 9, or 11 based on the number of players, the game ends at the conclusion of the round. Highest score is the winner and the finest animal explorer team on all of La Isla. Oh, a lot going on there. A lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah, there is. This is another game we played live, so you can see it. We played it on yukata.de, and it's available on our YouTube channel. Holy cow, the look of this game. <laughs> okay, yeah. It hits you in the face, doesn't it? I was like... In its defense, I will say it is an amazing work of geometry that they fit all these different shaped pieces into this one neat looking board because there's like pentagrams and like these L-shaped pieces and they're all kind of like woven together to fit nicely together. Unlike a lot of games where you just unfold the board and there it is, this game assembles sort of section by section so that no two board games or no two plays are exactly the same. It's really, really clever how they did this, and I would like to see more of this in other board games in the future. Yeah, I think they said there's over 11 million permutations. Whoa. So, replayability, anyone? Oh, yeah. tons. <laughs> I mean, it is replayable because, you know, the pieces are going to end up in different spots, but it's, it don't think it changes that drastically each time you play it. Uh, probably not because it is just camps and locations, but the locations are different. So you will have to combo up differently. And, and I think it was critical for the replayability of this game. I, I would agree. Would... I think because otherwise it would be one combination of combos that's always the best. Right. Now, because of the different configuration, you might not have to hunt different combos. Right, right, because yeah. holy cow, the combos and the special abilities on those cards. First off, the board is really, really busy. There's camps. There's r really bright colors. There's animals all over it. Numbers. Numbers, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a really busy board to the point where it took me a couple of seconds just to realize what camp attached itself to what animal because mm -hmm. it's like what direction does this camp go in and how do i surround <laughs> this animal by this camp and on top of that all these special abilities on these cards mm -hmm. that it was it was like wait did, if i can get gray with a hat and a cheaper guy here and then to the point where i was so distracted trying to find out how to play the special abilities i forgot which slot the special ability needed to go in <laughs> and sometimes i'd put it in the wrong slot and not even get it yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But yeah, there's no backsies either. Once you've chosen all three and everybody reveals, you're, it goes into that slot and you're like, oh, oh, what a mistake I've made. And the reason the cards are confusing regarding special abilities is because every card, as Evan said, has the special ability, the animal, and the cube, meaning the resource you're going to get. And you can only use one of those things on the card. Mm -hmm. So that means if you place it in the wrong spot, you end up getting the cube instead of the special ability if I put right. it in the A slot. Right. <laughs> I do enjoy games that include those kind of multi-use cards where you have to decide how you want to use it. I do too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And this wasn't two. It was three things. So I've played games where there's like seven different things on the yeah. card. You know, but this, this wasn't too bad. It wasn't at all. It was the combination of having to place them ahead of your turn and having them. That was the that was the confusing. Part. It's almost a bit of programming in a way. And and I can kind of explain the A B D thing. <laughs> it's because the the things that happen in in A and B are best 
placed before you put your explorer down because they'll give you resources so you can get to the place you want to go and stuff. If it was if it was a different way, like placing the explorers first, you wouldn't have the resources to do the things you need to do. It really works with the theme. I'm, I'm imagining, okay, what am I going to pack? I got to pack the right stuff for this location. Yeah, you caught it helpful in that it, it highlighted the spaces you can go to. Super useful. Unlike when we played Claim It and had no clue where we could go <laughs> on Yukata. Like, no idea what to do. Yeah. Yep. It also did you the favor of highlighting the spots you were already on on the board. Mm-hmm. Because like Celeste said, there's so many colors everywhere. It's hard to keep track of where your pieces already are. Yeah, and I think that's because of the 2D nature of the art. In the physical board, your pieces would be pawn sticking up above the board. So you'd be able to see, I'm there, clearly. Yes. Right. Not just a flat disc. Yeah, mm-hmm. This is one of those rare games where I think live play would have been less confusing. Agreed. Uh, easier physically just manipulating everything. I, I think it would be faster, too, because the planning phase is supposed to take place simultaneously. So that everybody's picking their A, B, and D cards at the same time. Well, in Yukata, we all had to take turn planning, and, and that ended up to, to a lot of dead time for each player. Yes, yes. I mean, it did chip away at our time a little bit, but I think that it was made up a little bit by the setup of the board being done for you because it looks like this board would take a long time to set up. I don't think, I think it would be mitigated by just a couple turns of uh, simultaneous play. Interesting, interesting. And another problem with having played this online, there's actually two boards of this game. (gasps) Yes. Because there's a track and for the tracking the five different types of animals. You had to press a button. You don't get it to see it all the time. You have to press a button to switch between the two boards. You're either seeing the island board or the animal track. Player advancement. Back and forth, back and forth. On a table, you don't have that problem, that limitation. Yeah, and and it was a limitation for sure. I think if you had programmed it to have them both showing, it would have been too small to really see on a a laptop, let's say, if you're playing something on a small screen. Yeah, with so much going on, you're right. It it would be lost. I know Ed wanted to talk about the designer, Stefan Feld. Yeah, it's a Stefan Feld game. He made many, many games. This is a relatively light and family-oriented game compared to its other designs, like Notre Dame and Macau and the Castle of Burgundy. These are all like heavy gamers games. And, and now to have like a lighter family game among his stable of games, it's, it was kind of nice. This is the lighter game, Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not a complex game. It was just super busy. <laughs> I feel like the complexity would dissolve after a few plays. I know Mike was a bit preoccupied while playing the game. <laughs> I was so distracted because I, I had this little mouse character to start with, and each player kind of gets uh, a like a token worth two of that particular animal of their own. And I just wanted my mouse to be the coolest, bestest mouse on the whole board. So <laughs> I spent some of my actions where, that could have been spent more efficiently to get points to make sure my mouse climbed up the, the track as fast as it could because I wanted him to be the best. Go, little mouse. Go, little guy. You can do it. Yeah, and it definitely threw me off a little. <laughs> oh, but that does give you points. So it's not like an activity that doesn't give you victory points. Right. But there is ways I could have gotten a much more points without messing with the stupid mouse. <laughs> uh, speaking of much more points, Ed completely annihilated us. Everything was a synergy with Ed. Oh, my gosh. I started off slow, but... Uh, yeah, he did. I'm kind of like in the back of the pack at first. Yeah, nobody thought you were a threat. Well... 
I mean, I always think Ed is going to be a threat, <laughs> but uh, he, he definitely did the thing that I hate most that he does to me more often, it, it, which is to basically cut the game off right as I'm going to be like exploding with points, like one turn before him. It's like, oh, yeah, Mikey's going to do well. Let's, let's nip this thing in the bud now. Yeah. <laughs> I try to sneak in there, but Ed notices it far too often and, sh- and cuts the game short. <laughs> Evan has done that to me before too, but definitely Ed is a culprit all the time on that. Yeah, I just know, kind of know that that's what you go for. It's like the epic <laughs> win, but uh, you know, that usually yeah. takes more time. So if I shorten the game. Yeah, you know how much more time it takes? One more turn. That's how much more time <laughs> yeah, it takes. Just give me one more turn. <laughs> it does seem that way. <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury La Isla. Mike? I didn't find it extremely exciting or even very interactive. I didn't hate this game, but I don't think I would seek it out to play too many more times, so I'll bury it. Evan? La Isla has some neat game mechanics, such as the placing of workers in the middle of resolving cards. And the game board is different every game, and that allows for the replayability. So I'll be visiting this island of mysterious animals again. Dig it up. Ed? I enjoy many of Duffenfeld's game, and La Isla offers a lighter field trip that is accessible and engaging. I'll dig this up for another expedition into the wild. Because I think the lack of coherence would disappear when playing physically, my gut tells me that this will play a lot better in person, and I want to play it in person, so I'm digging it up. We want to hear from you about La Isla. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. Hit us up anywhere. Come play Mikey's game on Twitter (laughs) every week. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes of bonus points, just go to our website and click on become a supporter today and you'll get all those episodes. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating, a like, a review, a heart, a thumbs up, a smiley face an emoji, a little trail of fireworks, whatever it is, anywhere on any social media and also on your podcast feeders. Please, please give us a review, a like, or a recommend. That is a huge help to us building the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Which Game First. Happy gaming, explorers. Hey, that's my golden toad. (laughs) Behold the majestic dodo. What did you call me? (laughs) 